Uh, this morning, I want to preach on a kind of a second part of our text from last Sunday. I want you to turn your Bibles. I believe it's going to be up here uh, on the sermon notes out of 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 14 to 22. Um, this morning, it's all about potential this morning in the, you know, the 10th Sunday after Trinity. It's all about potential. I mean, Jesus talks about, in the gospel we just read a minute ago, he talks about this incredible opportunity that Jerusalem wasted. There were the, you know, the, the salvation that was there in the gospel that he preached. It, it was all right there, and yet they rejected. And he says, in your lifetime, you're going to see this destruction, the children inside of Jerusalem. It's, it's going to be destroyed. And some of us are familiar. We've talked about it here certainly uh, many times. But the destruction of the temple in AD 70, I believe if I, I am a, I had a little basal cell cut out of my nose. Of course, it always looks small until they actually cut it out, by the way. Let me tell you that. When they tell you it's going to be small, uh, it's small until, until they start cutting on your nose. That's something I just learned. I thought, I've been around a lot of people. I didn't realize small isn't small when it's your nose. Just throwing that out to you. Uh, so let's hope that, that no medication is talking. But I believe it was Tacitus in about AD 70, uh, 67 who surrounded the temple. And they had this prophecy, and the believing Jews, the Messianic Jews, uh, they, they said, hey, by the way, you know, this is... Uh, time to flee, and luckily, because they hadn't, they didn't put it all together. Uh, when the Romans first surrounded Jerusalem in 67, uh, the emperor died. Tacitus is sent back to become the emperor. If I'm getting it all right, I hope I'm getting it pretty close. Uh, and then he's made emperor. And then in 70, they come back, and uh, and maybe it's Suetonius, and maybe I mixed them. But in any case, they come around, and uh, as some of you are familiar, Jerusalem was destroyed in one of the most horrific and horrible ways of all of history. And, of course, in today's time, you can just Google AD 70, destruction of the temple, and just remember you don't want to do it near a meal time because it's some very horrible things that happened uh, historically. And Jesus is prophesying that the missed opportunity. So and then Paul, I mean, the, the, the church has put together the potential and the opportunity that was missed in the gospel, in Matthew, and then it puts together with the spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians 12, and this opportunity for those who would ask and seek and knock, uh, who would hunger and thirst for Jesus. And, uh, you, you know, I, I was raised in the Baptist church, and the one thing they taught me was how to be saved. And I'm so grateful. They taught me to be saved. They taught me how to, know, you know, to believe in God's word. But in many ways, we emphasize salvation and the end times. So you kind of got the idea that we got saved and the idea was almost to twiddle our thumbs until Jesus came back and try not to do anything too bad in the meantime. You know, no drinking, dancing, or smoking. I mean, we had all these rules and, and it was sort of like, be good in the meantime. Uh, but there wasn't a whole lot of meantime. Uh, we didn't really know about, hey, following Jesus and, and really becoming more like Jesus and empowered by the Holy Spirit and, and, and to think that Paul would say all these gifts. I mean, they seem fanciful to us. I grew up hearing sermons against the Holy Spirit and against the gifts. How tragic. I mean, I mean, I wasn't just not taught it. I was taught against it. I mean, on this very street since I've lived in Gainesville, there's been churches who once a year for over a decade had a week-long series against the Holy Spirit and the gifts on this very street advertising it. Uh, they don't do that anymore, praise the Lord. 
I mean, if anybody knows that we need to have the Spirit of Jesus uh, living and reigning within us if we're going to be holy people and if we're going to be a light in this generation, it should be us. So there's anybody uh, that, that should be hungering and thirsting for more of God and for His presence and His power. It should be Bible-believing, born-again uh, Baptists and Presbyterians and Anglicans or whatever. I, I mean, surely we know that what God has promised is not what we're seeing. I mean, if we don't realize that what the New Testament is talking about, we're not seeing. We're seeing, we're seeing such a little bit of, of what God can do. And, and uh, I've been around the world, and I've been in places, as most of you know, where the Holy Spirit was falling in revival. We've seen hundreds of Hindus and Muslims in, in a sitting come to Christ and be baptized. I, I mean, we've seen this, and we're seeing more of it. It's happening around the earth and we need to, of course, get in on that. We need to be praying that God would do it. Our nation, uh, our church, our city, our, our country, we need it desperately to have a fresh touch from God. And, and, and to know that it's not just way back there in the Bible, but it can happen today. What could be more thrilling and exciting? Uh, so God's expecting us to ask and to seek and to knock. Now, all that to say, it really fits in well with this text in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. So, first thing, this will get your attention. I wish that my kids were here today. Joy's still down in Orlando because of the football game. She's going to church down there, I trust. Uh, and then my, my son is this morning working at Publix. But I, I, I trust he'll be listening to my sermon this week. But anyway, so in 1 Corinthians 6, Paul says this fascinating thing. He says, look, there is... Because see, the Corinthians were highly educated. They were cosmopolitan. Uh, they were enlightened and sophisticated not unlike some of the intelligentsia here in Gainesville. Uh, and, and Paul says to them something they didn't know. Uh, they consider themselves, I mean, they were gifted. They were baptized in the Holy Spirit. They, they took communion. They, they were born again. But, but, but they didn't know that you cannot compartmentalize your sexuality from your moral and spiritual life. And so Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, there's no such thing as casual sex. When you open yourself up into immorality, Paul says, don't you know you can join yourself to the demonic? Can you imagine that God made sexuality and our sexual lives so incredible that in the intimacy of marriage, we're supposed to thrive and to flourish, but in immorality, we open ourselves up to the very powers and beings of darkness. And, and, and that Paul really means that we can become enslaved and, and, and put in bondage, not just to our flesh, which is enough, not just to the world and the flow of it, but to literally specific demonic presence and power. And, and Paul teaches that in 1 Corinthians 6. Some of you have never read 1 Corinthians 6. You're going to read it this week when you find out there's all that exciting stuff in that chapter. Just get the New Living Bible, you know. Get the New Living when you Google it. On the New Living, you'll be like, oh my goodness, who would have guessed that a thriving church with all these intelligent people, with all kinds of gifts, that they didn't understand the implications that there's no casual sex. So then he says, in 1 Corinthians 10, and, and this is what I hope is going to really punch you in the nose, and I'm saying metaphorically now, because my nose is tender. He says, there's no such thing as casual worship. Can you imagine? Paul says, there's no such thing as casual worship. He says, don't you know? He says, remember the Old Testament as an example. These are people who were led. I mean, we're led by the Holy Spirit. They were led by a pillar. 
a manifest presence of God in this place led them. They, 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 they experienced baptism. He's saying, Corinthians, you guys have had all these real, legitimate, spiritual experiences. He says, but so did the Israelites. And God wasn't pleased, even though they were led by a pillar, and even though they were baptized, and even though they took communion. He says, God wasn't pleased because they didn't understand in their worship and in their morals that they were expected to be faithful uh, to God and to, and, and to act in honorable ways, that, that with the great rights of what it means to be God's people, there are great responsibilities. And they took the worship of God casually. And they defiled themselves. And it says, and don't you know, God judged them and destroyed them. And then Paul says something that should wake us up. He says, uh, and they're examples for us. Do you know that there are many people today who will take communion who God is not pleased with? Can you imagine? We, we could come and, and we could hold our hands right. I mean, you, I mean, you can tell who was raised in the Episcopal Church in the old days. Remember, I was raised in the Baptist Church, you know, I'm a little loose. I, I, I mean, you've got people who get up there and their hands will be perfect. You can tell they were trained. You know, it's like 90 degrees. I don't even know how you get your wrist to do that. I, I mean, they're just perfect. You can tell all that, I mean, we know how to kneel. We know how to, uh, to, to, to go through the service. We know how to give ourselves. And yet it's possible that we've taken God lightly in our worship. So here's what Paul says. He's telling us that there is a whole lot of potential in our worship. And if God would be pleased, we could interact with him and experience him in his very presence, his holiness, and his power in a different kind of way. But it is possible, though Jesus is going to be here this morning. I mean, he's here now through the preaching of his word. He's here in our hearts by faith. But in a few moments, by the power of the Holy Spirit, the Lord Jesus Christ is going to manifest his presence, his body and blood to feed us and to strengthen us. Oh, John Wesley and those guys, they all knew it. This isn't something for the Anglo-Catholics or for some other part of the church. This is for those who love the scriptures and know what Paul's talking about. So he tells us about three kinds of ceremonial meals, worship meals. And he says, listen, if you can get this, you'll be more careful and will come with a more holy, devoted approach to our worship. So he says this. He says, therefore, my beloved, flee from adultery. I mean, they were contaminated with adultery. They, they, I mean, excuse me, with idolatry. I mean, what they were doing is, they said, you know, hey, we can go back to the temple. Now remember, the temple in Corinth and in Roman times is where you had to pay your taxes. It's kind of, it was, it was a combination of the tax office, the business place. I mean, you know, like today you go to a small town in the south or someplace and all the old men will be there having a cup of coffee. It's the social place. I mean, the temple was more than just religious in a sense. But there were certain things, of course, that happened in the temple that could defile you if we were open up to the, the demons. And the Corinthians kind of felt like, oh, we're saved now. We've been born again. We prayed in tongues. We can go to the temple, and we don't have to worry. We can eat the feast. We can partake of all this stuff, and, and, and uh, we're going to be okay. We don't have to worry about being so careful. And Paul says, hey, not true at all. And then he's going to give us three examples. I'm so sorry that my voice is bad. They say sometimes 
when your voice is bad, people have to pay more attention. So maybe, you'll, maybe this terrible voice will make you pay better attention. He's kind of making fun of them, and he says in verse 15, I speak to you as wise men, because they thought they were so sophisticated and enlightened. He says, I speak to you as wise men. You judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing, the Eucharist, it's the cup of blessing. He's, he's saying, don't you know that in communion, in the cup of communion, the cup of blessing, he says, don't you know that one that we bless... It is not the communion or the koinonia, the mystical participation. Don't you know that, that, that it is the communion with the blood of Christ? Meaning, Jesus manifests by the power of the Holy Spirit, his presence. Don't you know that when you drink the cup, that there is a point of contact with the power of the Holy Spirit, with the Lord Jesus Christ and the power of his cross? In the same way this morning, if I preach the gospel and tell you that you can be saved by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and, and the Lord wants to give you a new life, that, that the power of the gospel is such that you can be connected by faith to the power and presence of Jesus manifest on the cross for the salvation of sins. But it can be so real, even right now, you could touch it. Paul says in the exact same way that the koinonia, this mystical communion, this touching there's a place of contact with Jesus and all those who love Jesus that takes place in our holy meal, of which our service is based. Don't you know that you get to touch Jesus? But he says, remember, in the first chapter, first verses of chapter 10, don't you know that while all of them partook of the sacrifices, all of them did these things in the Old Testament, God wasn't pleased with all of them. What an opportunity this morning. He says, don't you know the cup of blessing which we bless? Isn't not the very communion with the blood of Jesus. How's that possible? By the power of the Holy Spirit manifesting the presence, and with the presence of Jesus, you cannot miss his holiness and his power. I don't know about you, but I need his presence and his power to be the husband, uh, the pastor, the, the citizen, the neighbor, uh, the dad. I really need the presence and the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul says, don't you know, as if everybody then know. I spent years in churches of people telling me that the cup of blessing, nothing really happens. Just remember back. I was 10 years old in 1976. That means I was born in 66, by the way, just for those of you who aren't good at math, like me. 1976 was the bicentennial year of our country. There was more fireworks in 1976. I mean, I, I can't imagine how there could have been more fireworks. I mean, every time you turned around, I was up in Pittsburgh, and we'd go to the Pirate Games, and back then there was double headers. There was always crazy fireworks and at the high schools. and I mean, that whole year was a year of celebration. And I can remember fondly, I have vivid members, though I was only 10 years old, and I'm now 53. And I can look back fondly. That ain't what Paul's talking about here. There's nothing wrong with having fond memories. But that's not what communion is. Don't you know? Don't you know the opportunity? Don't you know it's possible to be here, but God not be pleased? But the exciting thing, it's possible to be here and to participate in the cup of blessing and to encounter the living Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit.
the bread which we break. Is it not? He's saying, obviously, no one would say no. Yet today, all kind of evangelical and Bible-believing pastors would deny what Paul says is obvious. He doesn't. It's a rhetorical question. It's so obvious. And yet today, people will tell you, oh, it's not this and not that. The bread which we break, is it not the mystical communion? Koinonia, communion. Is it not communion of the body of Christ? Do you know that when we take communion, we're not only made one and participate in a, I mean, Jesus is in my heart by faith. He was since I was five years of age when I got saved. But he says something special happens. I mean, we're one because for the most part here, we know Jesus, our Savior Lord. And so we're, we're one in that. But, but he's saying, in a special way in communion, don't you know that the bonds of love and presence are strengthened in a way that doesn't happen in other ways? And don't you know that when we take communion, we're also strengthened in our oneness with everybody else here who loves Jesus and with the church throughout all over the, the world that's celebrating the Eucharist today. There's a sense in which we're strengthened and we realize that connection. The sense of belonging and knowing who Jesus is and with those who love Jesus and know him. That's going on. Now, we can miss it. We can come here and worship casually, and we can miss what God has promised and what he presents. But we don't have to. We get to come with expectation and faith and to experience the very thing that Paul is saying the Corinthians understood but had not made proper conclusion. Meaning, they would join themselves to idol feasts where the demons were present, and they were polluting the communion. Maybe we could do that in some ways. We're going to talk about that in just a second. <coughs> Verse 18. He reminds them of the Old Testament feasts that included sacrifices and eating. And of course, only the priests sacrificed the lamb's things, but the people ate of the various feasts. 18, observe Israel after the flesh. I mean, remember the Old Testament. Now, these are Gentile believers. He's saying, but they knew the Bible. Remember the Old Testament. Are not those who eat of the sacrifices partakers? Don't they have koinonia of the altar? Meaning the benefits of the altar and the presence of the altar as what God was doing when he came on the day of the day. Didn't everyone who participated experience the power and the presence? And his point, of course, is yes. But now here's the crazy one. We're not surprised about the Old Testament. But look what he said about what they knew a lot about, and that's the idol feasts. Rather, excuse me, 19. What am I saying then? That the idol is anything. Oh, we look at the little Buddha and we say, oh, there's nothing to that little Buddha. He's cute. Can I tell you how many homes I've been in to exercise the evil in their homes, and I go in with Christian homes, and they've got little Buddhas? They've got dream catchers. They have all kinds of cursed objects in their homes and they can't figure out where they can't be at peace and why they're not being blessed. Because the cute Paul says, look, yeah, we know that the, the little Buddha is nothing except for there are demons connected to what is not nothing. Meaning it's not a God. It can't bless you. But with the false religion comes the demons and you can participate, commune with demons even as you can commune and participate with God. I'm not making it up. 20, rather, that the things which the Gentiles sacrificed, they sacrificed to demons. Yeah, the, the little Buddha is nothing, but the demons are there nonetheless. When the Hindus sacrifice, the demons are there nonetheless. When Ramadan is there, 
Oh, they want to do it to the true God. But Paul says, don't you know? Listen, as we said last week, I do not have a Hindu or Muslim next door neighbor. If I did, I would have them for dinner and I would go to their house for dinner. Don't get me wrong. But food is not just food when it is offered in the context of the worship of a god or gods. Not when it's Christian and not when it's Hindu, not when it's Muslim or anything else, any other religion. Christians, yes, we can have food and we can eat dinner with Hindus and Muslims, but not in the context of Diwali, not in the context of Ramadan. We have to be careful because when food is offered to the idols or to the false religion, the demons are present. So Paul says, I mean, the ancient world, every day in the Greek and Roman world, everything that was in the, in the marketplace, all the food, it would have been blessed to the gods every day. Paul says, you can take it home and bless it and eat it. You can eat with the pagans and you can have dinner with them and it'll be all right. But when food that has been offered to idols is participated in the context of a feast to a different religion and God, then you're opening yourselves up to the demonic. Now the Corinthians thought they were too enlightened, too sophisticated, too smart for all this. And yet Paul says, it's a real thing. I can tell you this, it's a real thing. You don't have to go to India and talk to the Christians and find out how they're living. And, and, and yes, their families uh, are there and they have to be very careful uh, because they don't want to mix. Even though they love their families and they go home and they eat meals, they have to be careful in the context of the religious context of the sacrifice because then it's not just the little picture or the little idol. They have to be careful about the demons. Now, you cannot drink, well, excuse me, rather the things that the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. They don't mean it. And in their mind, they're doing the right thing. I, I, I never met a Muslim who says, oh, I'm doing this to a false god. They, they're sincere. And without the power of the Holy Spirit to show them, you know, I'll be in Chad this year, God willing. I'll be, and I mean, do you know that we're going back to Chad and they've said, you know what the Muslims want? They want you to do a tent revival. We've seen so many Muslims get healed that they're asking us to come back and to have a healing tent revival. Of all the things that I would not think I'd be asked to do with Muslims in a Muslim country is to go back and to do a healing tent revival. But they said that's what they want. Because they know Isa heals. And they've seen Jesus, who they call Isa in Arabic. They've seen, I'm not, my pronunciation in Arabic is even more suspect than my English. So that's a lot of suspect right there. But the point is, I, I mean, they're sincere, but it's amazing when they get healed. They read the Bible. We're seeing them get saved in the most amazing and remarkable ways because they're encountering the person and work of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. They're sincere, but we can be sincere and we can be sincerely wrong. Paul says, don't you know when these things are happening, it's not going to go well for you because God is not pleased. All right? God is a jealous God. Look here. 20. The things with the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. I do not want you to have fellowship with demons. You will be communing with demons. If you participate in meals during the feast, he says, I don't want you to do it. You'll be connected. You will open yourself. Though you're a believer, though you've got Jesus in your heart by faith and the power of the Spirit, you will be opening yourself up to the power of demons. You will be participating with demons. The same word 
participating with demons, that he uses, of course, for participation with Christ and the church. Now, you know what's kind of strange, and I say this, forgive me, you guys know that there are sweet Baptists and all that, and there's mean Baptists. I've told you before, most of the mean Baptists are dying out. I was raised by the mean Baptists. But you know what's funny? They taught us this. They told us, be careful, you can participate with demons. They just didn't believe we could participate with God. How sad. How illogical knowing Paul's argument here. But that's, oh, they were very clear we could open ourselves up to demons. They just didn't know we can also, in Christian worship, experience by the Spirit the presence of the holiness and the power of Jesus as well. 21, he's saying the logical conclusion for us. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the Lord's table and the table of demons. Or do you provoke the Lord to jealousy? Saying the expectation of those who come to know Jesus Christ as the Savior and Lord of their lives understand they must be faithful. There's a covenantal responsibility with the privileges of what it means to be a believer. We cannot be taking God lightly or coming to worship casually. We cannot have cursed objects in our houses. We cannot be playing occultic games where there's curses and things and say it's just a game. Do we want to provoke the Lord to jealousy when the Holy Spirit is in our heart? Do we want to be opening ourselves and trying to, to play that? No, he's absolutely not. There are all kinds of ways in this day and age where Christians and the Christian church is more like the Corinthian church than a Pauline church. Where they're mixing all this stuff and telling you that everything's okay when it's not okay. We serve a holy God who would go to the fullest extent to die on the cross for us. And we cannot participate and open ourselves up, not in eating feast with other religions, uh, or even with, in our case, more likely, having religious symbols and objects of other religions in our houses. We do these things at our own judgment. There is the possibility and the potential in terms of what God has given us with the great rights of what it means to be a believer. But also, as Paul says about the people in the Old Testament, with many of them, and it was a lot of them, of the group, he says, God was not pleased. What a horrible thing this morning. If because of pornography, or because of uh, other kinds of uh, defiled things, religious symbols, that, that this morning we would come, to worship the one who deserves all of our worship. But we would come defiled in the way. We would come without getting right with God. We would miss the benefits with Jesus. See, Jesus is going to be here this morning to bless us. All those who come in faith, they're going to be blessed in communion. Because Jesus is here. But he will bless or he will judge. See, we'll participate with him this morning by the power of the Spirit. We will participate in a way that blesses us and nourishes us, or will we experience him in his judgment and his displeasure? That's the option. That's the option. To come now, why do we spend time going through and rehearsing all kind of categories of sin in the confession? Because we don't want to come this morning with hearts which are defiled and have not turned to God with our unforgiveness. I mean, these things are obvious and sort of extreme. And yet, not impossible for, for many of us here this morning, and yet there are also other things, many things this morning. Part of the reason that in our worship this morning we're not experiencing 
the presence of the Lord and his holiness and his power is because we're coming in casual worship as opposed to coming with a heart which is hungry and thirsty for God. Now, I don't know about you, but it's, it's seeing the mess around me that kind of wakes me up. This week, we have some family members that are not living nearby, but I, I mean, just devastation. So much devastation of years of bad choices, which now have been exposed. And you say, Lord Jesus, if it weren't for your cross and your forgiveness, how could any of this ever be rebuilt? And I tell you, it makes you pray a little different, makes you pray a little harder, recognizing, and I look at my own life and say, Lord, why is it that I can be in your presence in certain places? And it's, it's so strong, and other times it's not. And I say, Lord, is it you or is it me? What do you think I hear? Hear you wrong. No, I don't hear it, but I know it. Listen, we're here as the family of God. We're here together this morning to participate in the body and blood of Jesus. And we're here to do so in such a way that together we could experience both him and each other because we're, we're family in Christ. That will strengthen us this day and this week as we go to live for Jesus and to be a light in this generation in all kinds of places and ways. And we really need more of God. We really need more of his presence and his power. And he has promised to meet us this morning. We want to cleanse our hearts. We want to take some time in the repentance and confession and, and together come and say, Lord Jesus. I mean, we can't remember every sin. I mean, at least I can't. But I can tell you this. I can say, Lord, is there anything this morning that's keeping me from you? Is there any unforgiveness? Is there any uh, grudge? Is there any sin? That, or am I holding on to something that would keep me from you because I need your presence and your power and your holiness, which you promise us together as the body of Christ. I need you, Lord. I don't know about you, but I, I got a feeling that, that we all do. May the Lord come by the power of the Spirit and convict us and just to make us hungry. I mean, there is, if we'll stop being casual, there is a certain kind of hunger that only comes by God's grace. I don't know it and have not experienced it except when I've repented for not having it. I just say, Lord, I read the Andrew Murrays and I, I read the Ian e. Bounds and I read these people in Tozer. And I, I say, here are some men in some other generations that you gave a hunger and thirst. And when you read them, you find out that mostly when they read the Bible, they saw that what was in the Bible was not in their lives. And so they begin to see God and say, Lord, I am not what you say can be. And in their confession and repentance of not being what God promised and falling so short, the grace of the cross came and met them and the power of the Spirit changed them. Do you know that the way forward is the acknowledgement in the most humble and sincere way that we are not what God has promised we can be? And that if we would begin to seek Him and ask Him, He's going to answer us. The biggest thing, I mean, I'm excited about what's happened with the Muslims. and I mean, I'm particularly excited about that. We're going to participate uh, somewhere in North Africa with the first denomination, apostolic denomination. It's going to be Anglican orders made for Muslims, ex-Muslim believers who are now believers. I'm getting a chance to be part of it. It's an amazing thing. Thousands and thousands of Muslims need a church home. 
you imagine the day that we live in and that we get to be part of? What an amazing thing. But my greatest longing is that our little body here, it's not that we become some big church. That's, but that we'd be red hot. I really don't, I mean, I don't have the gifts for some big, I don't need some big thing. But I tell you what I, I want more than anything is that the gospel would be preached here and people get saved. That people would grow up in the faith. That we'd be holy and that we would have this deep sense of doing it together. The greatest glimpse that we have of heaven is the body of Christ alive and well, now longing and reaching for the fullness of what's to come. That's what God wants for us. Uh, nothing less is going to satisfy any of us. Uh, and if that were in your heart, you wouldn't be here. So let's start to long for him. And to long for him in this way, say, Lord, we are not what we could be in Jesus. Show us anything that would keep us from there. But we acknowledge what you have promised we have not yet attained. There is a hunger that comes out of just the acknowledgement to Lord, I'm not, I'm not all that you have promised. Not in this, I can never get there. I can get there with the power of the Spirit. And I can't experience more of the Spirit until I acknowledge my need of him. It's in the acknowledgement of my lack and need that God, who loves me and loves you, pours out his spirit to transform us and to make us more and more like his beloved son. That's what we need, and that's what we're going to do together. Lord Jesus, this morning, Lord, we pray, Lord, would you help us to understand the implications of the many defilements that are around us. Lord, we're so grateful that you would send Muslims and Hindus to us like never before. Lord, this is an answer to prayer. Some of us, we've longed to be missionaries, and you've sent them right to our neighborhoods. It's a wonderful day in which we live, Lord. We are so happy that they're here. But Lord, we pray that as the church, we would be awakened in the fullness of your love and your compassion, your service, Lord. Then acknowledgement that we are not what you can and have promised that we can be, Lord, I pray that you do it within us, Lord, that you'd pour out your spirit. Help us to cleanse our hands, Lord, of every defilement. Uh, Lord, and I pray that you'd increase not only a sense of your presence, that, that, Lord, we're participating in you, that the spirit is manifesting your very presence, that we've got contact in the cup and in the bread. Lord, would you increase our sense of love for the body? Lord, that everyone, Lord, that we experience, Lord, as we come in communion with you, that we're also connected with each other, would you increase our love? Let us be a light, Lord, we pray in this generation. Let our church be red hot. Lord, we pray that people would come in brokenness and go out with great healing. Lord, that we would be a house of prayer where our prayers would ascend and you would hear and answer and pour out Lord, the answers that we need. We ask these things in the most precious and the most wonderful name, the name of Jesus. And in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.